0: Welcome, back to, Welcome, and back, Welcome to back to Gin and Topic. Welcome back to Gin Topic. If you've forgotten, I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we drink gin. And we don't know anything. <laughs> but it's okay, because we've got a load more experts. We've got some really cool topics, and we're going to find out about them. Yeah, while drinking gin. Oh, perfect. <laughs> this week on Gin and Topic... We are talking to Natalie Jones. Dr. Natalie Jones is a research associate at the Centre for the Study of Existential Risk. (laughs) At the University of Cambridge. Existential risk. That's okay. Isn't that such an awesome title? I don't really know what it means. No. But you have an existential crisis (laughs) on a regular basis, so I think it will suit you down to the ground. Yeah, I do. I do. It's true. I limit them to about once a week at the minute. Oh, well, that's okay. That's quite good. Okay, so Dr. Natalie Jones is coming to talk to us about climate justice. Oh, okay. Good. I like that. Her, the, the question mm-hmm. of the week. Question of the week. Is who decides how to fix the climate? Greta Thunberg. <laughs> <laughs> I everything. love her. I think yeah. she's great. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: I'm just saying she probably should decide. She probably should decide. She yeah. doesn't necessarily no, decide. Doesn't know. So what do we know about climate justice? Very little. Yeah. There's that summit thing that world leaders go to, that they seem to go to just to look good. Mm -hmm. no shade bit Mm -hmm. of shade um yeah it's it's a weird one isn't it because you know I decide what we do in a family yeah Um, and quite a lot of the time I don't get told and then I come home from uni and I'm like uh what yeah it's like what's that new thing yeah what's that or dad's just there rolling his eyes going it's a thing um but that's quite easy because that's a little Mm -hmm. thing but when it's a big thing I don't know who decides how to fix the climate because I just think it's different My thought is that it's different country to country Mm -hmm. and that that's the biggest problem because we are a world that is in crisis and yet all the different countries are... Responsible for different shit. And not making decisions or not wanting to make decisions and so trying to get people, countries collectively together to fix this mess.
1: And on that cheery
0: note, gin. Yeah, going to need some now. I am really excited about this. It's a lovely bottle. So, it is a gin with the Gaelic name for nature. We like a bit of Gaelic. Yeah. (gasps) It's got a fodder. It has a fodder. So, therefore, with the fodder over an A, it should be a Nardar gin. I think. Oh my God. Okay. okay. So anyway, the Nardar gin, if that's how you pronounce it, we'll have to find out, is from Bicky Highland Estate, and it's an experimental batch and a limited edition, and it's the world's first climate-positive gin. Excellent. So what does that mean? Um, well, it's got a really low carbon footprint. Good. Which is really cool. Um, So we're carbon saving of 1.54 kilograms of CO2 per 700ml bottle. And the botanicals are citrus leaf and lemongrass, apparently. I can read stuff off there too, Sarah. um, It also says the crop is peas. We are pairing it as ever with fever tree, refreshingly light tonic water, ice and lime. Because we're not about to get creative today. Oh, and I can't open it. That's because it's got plastic on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's my old eyes. Jesus. I can't see that it has plastic on. <laughs> that was actually painful. <laughs> glug, glug, more. glug, glug, glug. God, bloody hell, all right. Somebody really needs a gin. Right. Cheers. Let's try this. Hmm. Oh, oh. Oh, it's got a weird aftertaste. That wasn't what I was expecting. No, there's almost a film. Yeah. On your mouth at the end. And it's kind of a buttery sweet. I wish I hadn't read peas because that's all I can taste in my mouth now is like peas, cooked peas. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. It needs like a Mediterranean tonic or it needs more something in it to balance it. It doesn't taste like a dry gin. Not at all. It doesn't have that. It's a bit soapy. Hit. There's a bit it of a soap to soapy. it. Mm, I'm sorry. That might be my least favourite one we've had yet. Mm. And I really wanted to like it. So hopefully we will like the gin a little more as we drink it, as always. But okay. hey, at the moment, climate positive, great. But I don't think I'll be changing all our drink, gin, gin drinking, drinking. to oh, it. No. Let's let Natalie in.
1: um can I can I just ask I think it would be really cool because um, I have a stammer so mm-hmm. as you have noticed it like takes me slightly longer to say something sometimes but like if you can just like leave in some of the stuff like I'm thinking just for like representation to like because yeah. like when I'm listening to podcasts I never hear any disfluent speech which just mm-hmm. kind of feels a bit weird um so just to yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. yeah cool. we will do I should say, this is a first. I haven't had a gin for like work purposes, uh, at least since the start of the pandemic. So, pretty cool. So, climate positive gin. Let's
0: have a try. Cheers. 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 I can't explain the taste of it. What do you think? Actually, the smell, it's a bit like sweets of some kind. Yeah. Mm, I can get that I can get that yeah sherbet dip dab yeah. yeah that's what it is that's the best way of describing it actually now I think about a sherbet dip dab it tastes I, like a sherbet dip dab I quite like it now yeah that I've been able to identify that's what the taste is. is god I'm good at this sometimes I just think wow look at me go but we we are not connoisseurs <laughs> no at all
1: really not no um we just like gin we and make
0: a actually, lot of it up if i'm honest
1: better... <laughs> <laughs> i like this one and like as i mentioned on the email i'm usually just like a fruity mm-hmm. you know like i like the pink ones basically yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a bit of a change and yeah it's, it's nice mm-hmm. and actually for a bit of a change from a fruity one
0: it is really good because it isn't a dry gin no no yeah it's got that sweetness of a sherbet dip dab. Yeah. Um, and not that dry juniper taste, which is quite good. But I can still I miss taste the juniper, peas, I'm, I'm going to be that's honest I read peas. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't read peas and mm-hmm. I think you're weird going on about the peas. Yeah. You yeah. need yeah, to peas. stop with the peas. <laughs> so, Natalie, as well as gin, we are going to talk about climate justice and who decides how to fix the climate. So, well, tell us, what is, what is climate justice, for once? Mm-hmm. You know, we said we know the word climate, we know the word justice, but don't actually know what putting them together means. And who decides? We don't
1: yeah. know. Yeah, as you say, let's, let's just have a look at the words and what they mean kind of mm-hmm. on their own. And obviously when we talk about the climate, we mean this um, atmospheric um, arrangement that is changing over time because of human actions basically um and we know the globe is warming we know it has been doing for quite some time and we know that's a bad thing um (laughs) it's gonna screw up a lot of different things basically um it's, it's not that cool um and justice is one of these words that like has been given a lot of different meanings and, like, lots of different people have talked about and, you know, philosophised about. Um, but when we're talking about climate justice, I guess there are a few different elements of it. So I guess coming back to the whole global warming thing, it's pretty obvious that, like, mm-hmm. that hasn't been caused kind of equally, right? Um As you probably already know judging by your nodding um, <laughs> um, particular countries have emitted way more carbon emissions in the past um, yeah and these are often what we, what we call the global north countries like the UK unfortunately um, other European countries the United States um, basically rich countries have <laughs> yeah. emitted a lot more comparatively in the past and also mostly in the present. Um, Whereas other countries and other people um, across the globe have not emitted nearly as much, right? So like in terms of historical responsibility, it's a lot less. Um, At the same time, unfortunately, because of uh, how the climate works, often those countries that have, contributed the least are also the ones being hit first and worst Mm -hmm. and that's global but actually it's also internal within countries you are seeing particular populations particular groups being hit first and worst even in the united states even in the Mm -hmm. uk and these are often poorer browner um in the us and australia and new zealand and canada often indigenous peoples um, so climate justice in one way is this idea that there are differing levels of responsibility mm-hmm. um, and and also quite different levels of impact, basically. And mm-hmm. when you kind of add these up, you get basically a massive injustice, right? So it's kind of the opposite of justice. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not what we want um, when we talk about climate justice. So I guess climate Justice is about what do we do with that situation, um, mm-hmm. and and how do we turn this ma- you know, this massive injustice into something right and, and okay and good and just. Part of this mm-hmm. is like at the moment, I feel like um, quite often we imagine climate policy or you know climate s- science as being like mm-hmm. an expert you know, task. Like, oh, it's up to our government. It's up to the scientists who really know all the papers Mm. and they know, like all the facts yeah, and stuff
0: because what i think is that you've got the scientists who are doing all the work finding out all the information and providing all the data and we have all people saying you know we've we've only got another 10 years and we've got to do something and here's all the findings and this is what we need to do and then you've got the governments who go oh well that's very interesting <laughs> and don't do anything at all yeah. and do something completely yeah. different or say oh we're going to do this wonderful thing in
1: 20 years <laughs> or net zero by 2050 net zero by 2050 yeah yeah
0: yeah <laughs> and we're going to do this wonderful thing in 20 years and someone else saying well actually no you need to do it sooner and then nobody being able to make any decisions mm-hmm. because of own country's personal gain
1: yeah I mean that's a there's a pretty good analysis actually like it is a lot of um there is a lot of shh short-termism which is going on where countries are just being like well what's Mm -hmm. in our you you know like we're only elected for like a period of five years so like what other voters going to give us at the next election if we do these policies but there's also like a corporate I guess like a capitalist impulse um where they're trying to sort of protect like particular economic industries and that kind of thing um and those companies like really don't either have an interest in kind of curtailing what they see is their like sh- sh- short-term profits for like mm-hmm. I- any kind of longer term. And this is why you get like, oh yeah, like we'll go net zero in 2050. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, Amazon, like, <laughs> <really>? um, <laughs> you know, like until we can see a plan which goes along with that, which has like interim targets, you, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, like if you want to aim for net zero by 2050, fine what are you doing by 2025 and what's your yeah. concrete plan for getting there you know um which a lot of these targets just don't have you know? yeah
0: so I don't actually know what most of them mean by going carbon zero being you know that whole it's like well what do you mean do you just pay somebody to offset you hear all that offsetting yeah. carbon I'll just pay someone to just sort of take that away and and that'll be okay or I'll promise to um plant a few trees and that will make it all right (laughs) planting trees is so popular it's such a popular thing (laughs) i don't know whether how much of it is true like Mm -hmm. as you said you know who gets to decide on what happens and if companies are just saying this actually whether they're going to do it Mm -hmm. or just saying it as a good way of getting more custom
1: yeah yeah well this is actually um when i read the description of the gin we're drinking like i was Mm -hmm. quite skeptical because like oh it's a climate positive gin it it's like it offsets its emissions and Mm. exactly as you say it's like how how are you doing that like Mm -hmm. and i haven't looked at this actually so it could be fine like it could be all good but um Mm -hmm. with the net zero you have to look really carefully at the fine print, at the details. And not all the countries and companies have actually worked out the details or at least, you know, stated Mm. them clearly publicly. Um, So
0: they don't necessarily have to state publicly how they're doing it. They can just say, oh, we're going to do this. And then they don't have to say how they're going about it.
1: Yeah, a lot of them, um, basically, they make a kind of announcement and then the details come later. Yeah.
0: I just went on to the gin, actually. And um, they are saying, so they grow their own crops, they use their own water and grow their own juniper and botanicals. Um, They're expanding their use of solar energy and primary waste products where possible are recycled as cattle feed or used as a natural fertiliser. So they're doing everything tracing to their source and tracing it completely themselves. Mm. Then they've got loads of science stuff about their um, about the crops and mm. you, then the fact that they use peas.
1: Oh, she's on about the peas they again. because yeah, they use
0: the peas to make the gin. Mm. How do they use the peas to make the gin? They turn peas into alcohol. So the alcohol in this gin... I didn't
1: know you could do that with peas. Yeah.
0: Turning peas into alcohol is no different than any other raw material and simply involves taking the starch component, then breaking it down and fermenting it
1: into alcohol. Okay. Right. Cool. Never knew you could do that. That's changed the way I look at peas forever. Pea juice. (laughs) So, yeah,
0: we are drinking. So is this one of our five a day?
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm going to count it as one of my five a day. Oh, yeah, I really um,
0: need to. I haven't had nearly enough of my five a day today.
1: It sounds like they're doing a lot of good things and maybe they, yeah, like, hmm. maybe this isn't actually all right climate-wise. <laughs> Lots of companies, et cetera, have a zero target, mm-hmm. but actually a lot of them aren't very high quality, so they, right. they just aren't that robust. And of particular concern, they said, is like this offset, thing so Mm -hmm. so like there just isn't a lot of um disclosure like yeah around like yeah like how they're going to use offsets or like if they're going to use but what because what is offsetting yeah it's basically you you pay another person or another company or whoever to to um for instance plant trees um -hmm. to capture the carbon that you have emitted so like you have these tick boxes a lot if you're unlike if you're booking a flight which i know none of us Mm -hmm. have done recently but let's say you're booking a flight (laughs) to dream it's like a tick box that says you know would you like to offset your flights um yeah yeah and you know um it's basically a way to make you feel better Mm -hmm. it's basically really hard to tell over a long period of time especially like if those offsets are going to be real because anything can happen to the forest it might burn down it might become um a source of emissions instead of a sink like it, it's it, it's much actually much better if you can just not to take the flight in the first place i will say like it does all help like it's it's mm-hmm. it's a lot better than nothing but as you say like it all depends on what we actually mean by net zero especially mm-hmm. about the offsets um
0: and so these conferences, because all these leaders get together all the time, as far as I can tell, they're <laughs> constantly having various summits and, yeah. or, you know, constant talking about things. And occasionally celebrities go as well. And Don't very, forget that. And very little actually seems to happen. Mm. Is it because then everyone is just basically going, oh, well, yes, that's a really good idea, but we couldn't do that mm. because... And just them all arguing and not coming to a conclusion as to what to do?
1: Well, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting and big question. Um so back when I was um just out of uni, I was picked for um a youth delegation to at that time it was COP nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. So the nineteenth conference of the parties. Um and there, yeah, it, it kind of immediately struck me there that that who has a say in these discussions like who is at the table is so contingent and and actually it's very exclusive. So yeah. even though I was there at the conference as part of this youth delegation and there were lots of youth delegations from all over the world, there were no youth, in the actual yeah. rooms, <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> it was just the country delegates. Um, of the I think 196 countries, I've probably gotten that wrong. But um, um, whereas youth are you know among the most affected by climate change, and this goes yeah. for every you know how we um spoke about at the start, you know um those who are more affected, even in um. Global North countries, like Indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. poor people, you know, um, those people are completely unrepresented. And also, yeah. the countries who are more impacted and have also had less of a historical responsibility, they are also really structurally disadvantaged in terms of having a voice, just mm-hmm. in terms of, like, how many delegates they have there, like, how many of them can afford the trip and the accommodation, yeah. the hotel costs, um and yeah, just like how well resourced they are to kind of defend their interests like in this kind of policymaking space. But back to your question of like, yeah, why does nothing happen in these things? Partly it's because these talks operate on consensus. So basically everyone has to agree before anything can happen. So even if yeah. one person um even if one country is like, no. Um, then it's blocked. And historically, some particular countries have been really effective blockers. So, for instance... name and shame them. <laughs> Tell them. But yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, um, so basically, it lines up with what you expect in terms of like who produces the most oil, coal, gas, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so historically, for instance, um, Saudi Arabia has been really well recognized as just like a blocker. They yeah. do everything they can to just like Mm. slow things down and this extends to like agenda fights which sounds really boring but it's as if you're in like a meeting let's say you, you know like are you guys involved in like any Committees of any kind, any like. You no, know. I like I know. to avoid looks, committees <laughs>
0: completely and utterly.
1: And okay.
0: being a parent and invited to join school committees. You're not and a PTA also, mum, just no Because of getting so frustrated by the things like, oh well, the agenda's not right, or you know, this needs to be this needs to have yeah. higher billing on the agenda than that one. And we've got we haven't got the right
1: colour paper clips you know oh well asked with that you you would hate cops you would hate them because this is exactly the kind of thing it's like oh Oh why isn't this on the agenda you know and you can have an argument for a couple of days about that oh god I will say that you you know um a lot of you know cops have achieved a bunch of things. Among those is the Paris Agreement that was adopted in 2015 yeah. at COP21. Mm-hmm. Um, although the Paris Agreement is definitely, like, not the magical mm-hmm. fix. Um, <laughs> it's, again, it's better than nothing, which I think is often what, um, what, uh, yeah, like, how I think about c- 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 climate action, like, the kind of, like, mm. laws and policies we have at the moment. It's, like, better than nothing. <laughs> it would be good yeah. if we had a lot more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but having powers is, is like it, it helps a little mm-hmm. bit. Imagine if you had instead of all the world leaders. Imagine if you had at the table um, a group of people who were impacted by the Australian bushfires. Imagine mm-hmm. if you had um, th- th- people from I don't know the S- Standing Rock Reservation in this yeah states who have been battling against pipelines for Mm -hmm. you know years and years and imagine if you had their people who are losing their islands in the Mm. pacific um imagine if you had like basically all the people who are already hit by climate change i think things would be happening a lot faster (laughs) yeah definitely but we kind of know just because of the structure of these cops because of the way they're established kind of legally between governments that that unfortunately isn't going to happen anytime soon but what is quite interesting is that even though even though kind of everyone knows that that it's actually these governments who are around the table at COP you still see a lot of other people turning up and trying to make themselves heard kind of regardless so you get a lot of um yeah youth a lot of indigenous peoples farmers um of course you get the big business as well um who are definitely trying to um (laughs) have a look in there. Um, But you get a lot of people trying to make themselves heard in various ways regardless because Mm. they kind of know that if they ignore the cops and just let them happen, um, basically it'll be even worse because you don't even have these people, you know, standing around outside the venue with large crowds and large posters and Mm -hmm. speaker phones and all the rest of it.
0: So trying to think positively – at the minute as I keep trying to do is there anything that any government is currently doing and pushing through that is making you feel hopeful
1: oh totally yeah yeah um one thing that's making me feel really hopeful um is um policies that governments are making to uh stop or ban like extraction of coal oil and gas so Mm. like um we call this um fossil fuel supply side yeah. policy because it's on the supply end of the equation rather than the kind of demand end, which is like how are these being mm-hmm. burned, like in the power plants, or whatever it's like extracting p- producing refining. um and we're seeing a few countries, well, actually increasingly many countries um announce bans on either like new exploration um, or increasingly just like a ban on kind of all, all production, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, like really essential and necessary. I will say as long as it's being done in consultation with the yeah. workers and the communities that it's going to affect. For example, I'm from New Zealand. Um, our government passed this kind of policy, um a couple of years ago and um that mostly affects one particular region of the country Mm -hmm. the taranaki region um but it's really important that if the government is doing that they have a dialogue with the region they say you know Mm -hmm. how else can we make this region like Mm -hmm. what other jobs are there um what what else can these people do um and do it in consultation rather than, like, just handing it down by kind of a decree. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of good examples of governments really um, having a dialogue and doing it in consultation, which is, like, where you you actually get the buy-in that way as well. Yeah. But the, because it means that the workers aren't just, like, um, opposing it necessarily. Obviously, the companies will be opposing it because they're going to lose their mm-hmm. profits if they, you know, aren't allowed to kind of extract oil anymore. But... Um, The kind of the people who are actually carrying out the work um, will will be on board, which is good. Mm -hmm. The actual Paris Agreement it doesn't even mention; it doesn't mention fossil fuels, like it doesn't mention oil, coal, gas, um, which is kind of wild. It's it's all about countries making pledges to reduce their emissions, which is very much on the Mm -hmm demand part of Mm, the equation it's not mm, all about the supply um which you might think is kind of wild but also if we come back to you know who's around the table um Mm. if you have the major oil producing Mm. states around the table they're not going to like let any of those words in there um so the idea would be to have a different agreement that would complement the cops but be you know completely separate where these things could actually be be raised um, mm. and, and be, yeah, be agreed. The more we talk, the more it
0: seems such a complicated balancing act that if we're thinking about that climate justice and who decides, it's that's really hard. How, what do you think, is there an ideal model? Is there an ideal um easy question is there an ideal way to make it all okay (laughs) to have a little magic wand how would we set things up to be better and is it possible to be able to set things up to be better
1: yeah so I've been doing some research um (laughs) I've been looking at all the different ways where um international organisations have actually been including Indigenous peoples specifically in their decision-making processes. And this is quite actually quite a lot. Um, I think I found, like, 35 different examples or so. And I should say this is totally because of Indigenous peoples' activism. Mm-hmm. One of the examples that I really like is the Arctic Council. So this is a intergovernmental organisation of the Arctic states. So they are... Um, the US um, Canada Russia and then the Scandinavian mm-hmm. countries they have this Arctic Council which is like basically regional governance like um, they partly do like environmental stuff they also do like Arctic search and rescue they do a bit of climate stuff they do a bit of economic stuff kind of a bit of everything mm-hmm. um, but just in the Arctic region Um they have done this thing which is really cool um and this is actually since the mid 90s so it's it's been around for a long time they created this like st- structure where the major indigenous peoples of the region their organizations would be at the table just as a state would be yeah so they have eight states and six of these Indigenous Peoples Organizations, um, which are all kind of the, yeah, the most organized um, and largest groups of Indigenous Peoples among the Arctic states. And so those representatives also attend the meetings. They have all the same rights as states. They can speak, they can make proposals, they can add Brilliant. agenda items. They, yeah. um, and this is, you know, it's, it, it works for kind of a lot of reasons. Um, like, I guess we've talked about how Indigenous peoples, as an example, are like kind of hit first and worst by these um, issues, not just the climate issue, but like other environmental issues. Um, they have been the yeah. uh, among the first to kind of really experience the effects. The other thing is that um, Indigenous peoples in particular have a lot of... Um, a lot of knowledge about the land, Mm -hmm. about the environment because of having lived so closely to it and been Mm -hmm. reliant upon it for so long. Um, So actually they, they just have a lot of useful information to bring. Mm. Yeah. And it's not to kind of instrumentalize it and say like, Oh yes, they have the valuable information. We must Mm -hmm. grab that information and use it. Um, It's to say that like, they obviously have the right t- 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 to kind of be there. And also they actually know the most about the region, yeah. which yeah. is um, mm. under governance. And so like, if you want to have a good outcome in the Arctic council, like you better listen to them basically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And right. this is, yeah, this is pretty cool. And and that's the kind of arrangement that, that could pretty easily be, I guess, replicated in other regions where there are a lot of Indigenous mm-hmm. Peoples. Um, but also it it shows that it's kind of a precedent that shows that, like, states and Indigenous Peoples can work together, um, which mm-hmm. even in these larger organisations, like at the COPS, for instance, or um, at the United Nations in general, it shows that Indigenous Peoples organisations do and can, like, have the capacity and the kind of know-how to to participate in these things. Mm-hmm. I guess the question of like who, who, who decides, I guess there's a distinction between like who decides and I think who should decide. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but there's also a distinction between who decides and like who can have influence and like mm-hmm. who can have power. Um, and I think we've seen that like collectively, like collective movements of people can have a lot of power in, mm-hmm. in creating the public agenda, creating pressure um, coming up with ideas mm-hmm. um, and I guess movements of workers as well um, have a potentially have a lot of power in terms of making companies do things um, even making states do things um, so that's that's all. I guess yeah like in the realm of kind of what what does happen I think what should happen mm-hmm. is I think um, states should give a lot more space up for um, like those who are most affected and those um, who do have the most on the ground immediate knowledge of what's going on mm-hmm. um, and like how these c- c- climate policies, how these climate policies um, kind of impact on that ground level Um but that said, you know how to make them do that. Um, that is where the collective movements come. Um, that's where the c- 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 collective movements come in again, because it's pretty obvious that states aren't really going to do anything unless there's a pretty strong demand for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's not just a matter of like asking nicely, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that answers your question. I've drunk quite a lot of gin now, though and one of your five a day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's been really interesting. Thank you, Natalie. And really um I think we take for granted the climate talks that go on and people making right decisions mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing that we'll always complain and about we, the decisions we that take they make. Our made. Own voices for granted because if did. we all protest a little bit more and mm. yeah maybe we should just all be doing a lot more of them. Mm-hmm
1: yeah agreed participating in a few of these actions just like makes you realize mm-hmm. a lot more the power that you can have like just as an ordinary person um yeah which is pretty cool yeah you, definitely Yeah, you know, like you don't have to be a world leader you can have an influence on what mm-hmm. goes on brilliant
0: thank you thank very you. much natalie mm-hmm.
1: yeah thank you this has been really enjoyable awesome thanks natalie bye bye bye
0: okay so okay debrief okay most important thing Mm -hmm. we're not too keen on the gin i'm i think the issue is i like gin i like the flavor of gin and this does not have the flavor of gin and it also has that thing that we find in tonic water with the coating your tongueness yeah i'm beginning to i need a drink yeah to clean my mouth and I wanted to love this gin
1: it had all the
0: things that made me go yes it's a beautiful bottle I like the name I think that's really cool I like the fact it's you know good for the environment and we still don't know how to pronounce the name no I still have half a glass left and that never happens I have less than that that's because she's with Um, me again and losing the will to live it's really good if you are a fruity gin person, and that's the thing. Natalie yeah. really liked it, because and I she's think if gin. you don't, yeah. yeah, if you don't like a dry gin, it's perfect for you. You will love it. And if you like sherbet dip dabs, if you like a sherbet dip dab, then a the <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> A pea sherbet dip. Let's stop. Okay, what have I learned? I have learned that. Um, All sorts of people make those decisions and they're not always the right ones from that table. Mm -hmm. And like with anything, we should have much more diversity of voices. I have also learned that the um, ice circle uh, is really cool because it has got Indigenous people people making those decisions of an Mm -hmm. equal weighting in that Arctic circle. I've learned that I'm going to bring you to a protest with me. At some point. Because I like my protests. I went to Union Bristol, of course I do. If you enjoyed this episode, listen to more. We've got tons. Got loads. And if you like them, really, really like them, you could always leave us a review because apparently they're quite helpful. You can also subscribe. You can. And then you don't even need to go and find us. We just appear. Every single week? Yeah. And find us on social media. Yes. We are on Twitter at... Topic Gin. And on Instagram, Topic Gin. Yay! (laughs) Join us next week for another gin and another topic.